Trainer. Yo, yo, this is Justin, Justin B. Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews. A Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. Heather. A massive Hi. hey. Dan. <laughs> yes. And Leland's here. Turn your mic on. There we go. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, we just start like that, man. Awesome. Sorry if I threw you off. Thanks for no. coming in and hanging out. I could not be happier to be here. This is so fun. Should we, like, should I say why I was here the last time? Yeah. yeah okay. I've been here before. I've been yeah. in this room before. Why is that? Brett Leland McLaughlin shows up 30 minutes early today while we're all working. And then he hits me with this uh, this monumental phrase, which is, I've been here before and you didn't even know. I say that everywhere. No, no I don't. I don't. <laughs> that means you came with somebody. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Who were you here with? So I drove Dea here really? oh. three and a half years ago, however long that was when Hideaway just started getting played on the radio. And now your only job is to sit still and look pretty. Thank you so much for connecting those dots. Yeah, that was wonderful. <laughs> Meant to be. Yeah. You were one of the original architects behind Dea. It was you and somebody else, but you 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 pretty much crafted these songs, and it was more than one album. It was two, right? So I was brought in by one of my like dear friends for a long time, Gino Barletta, who really was the spearhead behind that project and knew her uh, from Pittsburgh and and brought me in and... Yeah, we wrote a whole album together. We wrote an EP together, and we wrote that in, like, a weekend. Wow. Uh, that very first EP. We wrote it from a Friday night to a Sunday, and then we wrote the album just as quickly. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a really fun ride. I still adore her and love her so much. When you're creating music from scratch like that with an artist that isn't publicly known, how is the process different than if you were to enter the studio and work for somebody like Troy? I mean, we had truly no idea what we were doing so like so the fact that anything happened was so much fun i mean i like made her twitter account and (laughs) and uh would drive her to radio things and i i am from uh biloxi mississippi so when i went home for thanksgiving that year i sat down with the pd and i was like we got to get hideaway on the radio here and left and it was in rotation and uh we really had no idea what we were doing so we just had so much fun and, uh, and you know, with, with Troy, there was a complete, the capital was behind him from the, from pretty much the very beginning. So I was just, I would just show up and write the songs and like get Chipotle. Like I didn't really have to do much, <laughs> but with Dea, I mean, we were there. I mailed out, you probably got a Christmas card one year. I think so. Yeah. I had, I got so many paper cuts from folding those. <laughs> yeah. So you were doing the real dirty work. My apartment was to the ceiling with those. Christmas cards. That's awesome. <laughs> that's what it takes. Yeah. You do the work, man. But, yeah, yeah. But when you're creating for an artist that's not publicly known, like, where are you drawing inspiration from? Like, like because Student loans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Just to keep going. Story of my life. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but with that, are you writing to tell a story or are you writing to make hits? No, I mean, we truly were just having fun writing songs and pulling from, pulling inspiration from Dea and, and, talking to her and, and sitting with her and, and also just trying to write great pop songs mm-hmm. that she would connect with. You know, there was never a time where, um, you know, if she was out doing radio promo and we had a new song that we loved, if she didn't like it, she didn't do it. And that's totally okay. But we were just trying to write great songs and have fun. Ha- has there been moments where you've pitched something to an artist that you genuinely and deeply believed in and they were like, it's, it's not right? I try to be careful when, when uh, crossing that, boundary from whether it's a friend that I'm an artist with or an artist that I'm a friend with um, or uh, or that relationship because typically the artist wants to be part of the song. 
Um, so unless I f- really feel convicted that this artist needs that that there is no other home for this song except for this artist, that's when I will do that. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I do it so sparingly. I've done it a couple times with um, with Selena, and so far we're we're two for two. Was it fetish? Fetish was the first one. So that song starts with you and your co-writer. Mm-hmm. And who had the fetish? Where does that emerge from? Whose brain? Like, I have in my phone a list of, if I'm going in with an artist, I will like, whether it's the morning of or the night before, and I will just stream of consciousness words that I think could be really fun to work with or use. Um, and I was yeah, standing in my apartment the morning <laughs> before. We did like two weeks where we focused just on Selena and, um, and I had fetish in my list of titles that I thought would be really fun for her. That would push things a little bit without being like too much. Um, but fetish also happened to be a word that we later found out, uh, cannot trend because it Uh, is sexual in nature. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why you never trended on Twitter. That's why fetish never trended. Yeah. <laughs> and it's your fault. Mm-hmm. It is all much, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that word fetish is the starting point. What was the first lyric for a song like that? God, I, in those situations, you know, everyone is contributing. Everyone is throwing things out. I honestly think we started with take it or leave it. I oh. think that was the, uh, and just figured out that verse that would feel like so Selena and fun for her to sing and have all of her. The, like beautiful inc- inc- what's the word intricacies of okay. her voice there you go because um, she has such a special tone and such a special voice the way that she pronounces words so I think it really started with take it or leave it and and then just I think we wrote progressively why did you feel it was right for her I think it it was just urban enough just pop enough the lyric felt like this could be such a natural next step. Um, you know, if I were you, I'd do me too. Like we wanted to push <laughs> it and we wanted an artist to hear Such a song, a to hear a song and think this, this makes me uncomfortable. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> this gets that. me out of my comfort zone. And, and that's, but that's a scary thing to pitch somebody on, but I would rather pitch someone something where they either love it or hate it as opposed to being like, Oh, there's, there's an, another good one. Like maybe we'll come back to it. By the way, just in case nobody can tell, Leland writes music, you write songs, but you also write songs for yourself, you write songs for others, you compose for TV shows, you've composed and you've written 11 original songs for Sierra Burgess is a Loser. Like, what is life? Like, you do a little bit of everything, and then obviously you have your own career that's your own artistry, which you just released a record, um, Heart to Break. Why now for your own stuff? Because I look at your career, dude, and I go, holy crap, this guy is thriving in so many other areas why do you want to take focus away from all of that and put it onto yourself i think i just i have something to say now um i have always loved performing i've always loved being on stage it was just always for my parents or for really small crowds or uh or in college um and it felt like the right time mattress was the first single i i put out last year and that was not sitting down and being like it's time for me to be an artist. It was just, I had a session and with this producer, Jordan Palmer, who I now work with everything for myself on. And, um, and it, the song just came and it, and it felt like me. And I was like, I don't think we're, we can really pitch this. Um, let's just put it out and see what happens. And 
I hadn't yet broken into the culture of like, I need to, I need to get this song playlisted. I need to, I need to make a lyric video. I just put the song up on SoundCloud and, and then eventually put it out on Spotify and Apple and people organically got behind it, which is incredible because now there's so much pressure that comes with putting out music as an artist. Um, and it, that's pressure you avoided for a while. Yeah. And now, now I'm, I'm just like trying to have fun with it. I get, you know, I get to have someone pay t- for me to make music videos. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, yeah, super grateful for uh, a team believing believing in myself as an artist and, and these songs because I feel it and I would be doing it regardless. But to have the resources now um, is a lot of fun. How, how have the creative pressures changed bet- between you being a writer for somebody else and now you writing and doing your own thing? It's just being confident, like gaining confidence to make a music video and be like, okay, that's how I look, you know, like, and, and obviously like working hard to want to feel confident and, and feel great on camera, but, uh, and also in like movement and, and everything and be like, I, I want to experience these things. I want to do these things. These are super fulfilling for me, but just getting over that hump of, okay, that's how my voice sounds. That's the song that's out right now. That's what, that's the song that my name is behind. That's what I'm going to be promoting. That's what I look like on camera. Like those things are, are, tough to get over that hump but once you do you just go for it what were pressures you face as a songwriter i mean it i am exhausted (laughs) from like the collective seven years of moving to la um and having a publishing deal but but also just have having to be in trenches and um and knowing um okay my time is going to come like and and as friends which is one of the best things to see as one by one, your group of friends get their hit. When Sarah gets Dark Horse, when Jake gets a Rita Ora song, when all these people get, get their song one by one, you're like, all right, this is amazing, but when is it my turn? You know, uh, just, just to have the peace of mind of like financial stability. You know, there's so much, so many young writers, which I, I went through it and I have um, a lot of writer friends that, that are going through it or or coming out of it or getting into it where, you know, you're trying to balance sessions and pay rent and do all these things. And so whether you have a full-time job and you're trying to write songs at night or vice versa, you just make it work. So those pressures, when you walk into a studio trying to be rid of all the other stresses and just write a good song, that's, that's the pressure of being a writer. Yeah, And that's really hard to do. To leave so hard. all of your baggage, just let, let it sit right out the, in front of the door. Mm-hmm. Because the second you walk out of that studio, you got to pick it back up and it belongs to you again. Yes. And you can feel, I've had to, to check myself on this, when I would walk into a session and I would, I would not be bringing the right energy to this session. And everyone can feel it. You know, yeah. if, if you walk in and you're super stressed and all that. So I, it's either, it, and thankfully, you know, I don't have many of those days anymore because I get to show up and work with people that I know I love working with and we just get to have the freedom to make whatever we want. And, um, but those, but I ha- just have to be super conscious about the the energy you bring into a session because it can really weigh it down. Do you think you lost a hit or two due to the energy that was in a session? I mean, you'll never know. I'm, I am I sure. I mean, I'm sure there were times where I mean, I definitely think I, I don't know if it's losing opportunities, but I definitely, there were moments where, I would be asked to go into a session and I was like, I, I can't do it. I have to work today. Like I, I have to go to a job, you know? Um, and that's, that was a frustrating, I remember those moments like being like, I can't do it. But um, 
but you just have to have this blind faith and drive and um and you know I always thought my first big song was going to be with a major artist and then to have two songs on the radio back to back with uh Hideaway and Youth both being brand new artists that it came how I least expected it you know and that was really interesting it's pretty cool it was so cool <laughs> getting to experience that and then I got to like go to so many things and experience the actual rise of the song with the artist as opposed to just giving a song to a major artist and then you're still in your two separate worlds. And you learn a lot from just being a part of it, mm-hmm. right? So Ob- much. Obviously, you know, putting the envelopes together for the Christmas cards and sending them out, but also just watching I hope you them still have it, yeah. <laughs> make decisions and stuff. <laughs> I'll look through my papers. Okay. As you can see, they're stacked everywhere because mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. a hoarder. <laughs> um, so what do you learn from your time with Dea? I learned how to, how to do it all. I learned how to run a label. I learned how to push a song. I learned how to make a lyric video, make teasers, make all these things. I learned how to um, how to just organically con- connect with people. Um, and and I learned how to create more songs. And, and uh, it was interesting seeing different opportunities come as the song would move in different places and, and the different, you know, we got a very much behind the scenes look at the different markets and, and you get the text that Z100 picked up the song and you celebrate and you get the text that Kiss FM picked up the song and you celebrate. So I got to experience all of those milestones. Um, Was there any of it a cautionary tale? Like you witnessed things that you knew the next time around, I'm not going to do this again? Not so much. I mean, I'm sure there were moments. Um, there were more things. I just, like you said earlier, put together the entire soundtrack for Sierra Burgess and put that out on my own label uh, with Sony ATV. And now, you know, just coming out of that, there are so many things where I'm like, okay, now I know next time around how to do it. And we're talking about two different gigs, but in the same vein. So with Sierra Burgess, you do 11 original songs. Mm -hmm. Is that the most anybody in one sitting has asked you for? Yes. I mean, I was writing those songs uh, at the same time as I was scoring the movie. So there would be a, a scene where the director would send myself and Bram in scores who I composed the movie, the score with, and he worked on Blue Neighborhood and Bloom. And so we have a great working relationship, creative relationship. And so the director would say, I want score here or I want a song here. Here's how I want the song to sound. And then once the movie was finished, um, it was either myself or Ali X singing every single song in the movie. We would just alter our voices to make it sound like other artists. That's cool. But like uh that. But for the soundtrack, I wanted each song to have a new life. I wanted to make the production a little poppier. Um, and uh, so then I would say there was a song that I sing in one of the one of the scenes where Sierra is about to uh, be discovered as as living or living this lie. And uh, in the movie, I sing the song. But I was like, this would be amazing for Sabrina Carpenter to sing this song. And so I texted her the song and packaged it the right way and texted her the song and we were in the studio the next day recording it. That, and so that was that was really fun. It was really quick and uh, hectic. And we were figuring out so many things. You know, the behind the scenes stuff is the behind the scenes stuff is um, not only were we like, I was like, OK, I need a second verse for this song and a bridge by the time she records it tomorrow. But also I need my lawyer to be doing like five deals right now to be getting this done. I need her management to know that everything's OK in timelines and uh and then at the same time, I need to get her a marketing plan. You know, it's but it was really fun. Different set of pressure that you have to set in front of the studio door before you enter the room, right? Completely. 
Yeah. A little bit more of a fruitful pressure because you know that it results in money and you have a roof over your head. Totally. And yeah, that I mean, that was so creatively fulfilling yeah. to be able to piece everything together, work with friends who not just like, oh, I, Sabrina's a big artist. Let me just see. You know, she was like right for this project, you know, and so for her to believe in the project and believe in me as, a, as an executive producer, um, that meant a lot. What is the timeline when you do a project like this, because everybody says, like, time is money, time is money, especially when you're on set. Yeah. So are they shooting scenes and then sending them to you and then you're scoring them as they're shooting? Or are you looking at the film at the end of it and then going from there? Yeah, there were a couple different time timelines. Um, so for that one, I they initially asked for the song Sunflower that she sings in the movie. Got it. So Troy and myself, we were making Bloom while this was happening. And... So I like begged Allie and Troy and our friend Bram. I was like, let's just stay a couple hours after our session and see if we can get this song Sunflower. And we ended up writing a few ideas. Um, and then once I found out that we got the song in the film, they shot that scene, I think the next week. Uh, and then they started sending us scenes and I started like planting the seeds of trying to compose all the music for the movie, uh, which I hadn't done before. So, um, so once I got it, then they would quickly send scenes as they were as the editors were editing editing them together and then the crazy one was like putting the soundtrack together and completing it and having enough time to market it and lead before the movie came out so there were a few different moments but it was really like the soundtrack where we got betty who and sabrina sabrina and ali x and all these great artists emini k to like Everything had to come together in like five days. You're wow. supervising, you're creating, you're scoring, you're composing, you're doing every piece for this film. And I feel so bad for my managers and lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do you pitch your way into a project like this? Because you talk about never doing it before. Did you like genuinely in your heart like have the confidence and like feel like you were ready to take this on? Or did you know that it was something you wanted to do and you couldn't really like, you, you got to try it to fail, right? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be really challenging. But in those situations, you just have to surround yourself with people that know how to do what you don't know how to do. So Bram, who co-composed the score with me, he had worked in commercials before. So he already had, you know, the software of, of being able to, uh, in Pro Tools, of being able to score live to the, the picture itself. And, um, and I knew the aesthetic that they wanted. So if it was something where I was like, I am not, capable of doing this, then I wouldn't have pushed to do it. But I knew exactly the sound they wanted to go for. I knew they wanted a non-traditional score. They wanted something 80s and nostalgic. And that's the type of music I make as an artist anyways. So I was like, this is just an extension of myself as an artist. Let's let's see. So I I took the initiative by scoring a couple scenes before they even asked. And so uh, you were ready. Yeah, yeah. And then and I like created cute little artwork and sent this package over. See, th those things matter. Yeah. And now you're scoring and composing another TV show for Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. It's a Lauren Michaels show. Yes. Like, what do you learn from Sierra Burgess that you carry over to this? What's the show? Can you yeah, say it? you could talk about I it. I can, yeah, yeah. Oh. It, uh, <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a secret. That's what we didn't no. ask. Okay. Sorry. No. <laughs> it's called The Other Two. It's called The Other Two. It's starring Molly Shannon. And, oh, uh, stop. No big deal. It that's awesome. It is so funny. That is, that's a really, like, incredible, at least for me, an incredible story in that we started this year, which was a bucket list moment in itself. I remember Troy calling me, I think last December, probably right around this time, 
And I was sitting at the Target uh, at La Fountain in La Brea, or Santa Monica in La Brea. Okay. And he, got feast, he FaceTimed me. And he was like, okay, are you sitting down? And he told me, we are going to Saturday Night Live in January. And I'm playing My, My, My in the good side. And so we both started crying, and it was just really special. And so we went to SNL and started the year. That, w- what, that was such an insane way to start the year. Right. So I was standing there on set at SNL, and... It, I just got a rush like like I'd never felt before. That energy in that studio was so special, the history and all the talented cast. And, and it was just really amazing. And so we were all watching Troy Soundcheck and I, I turned to Danny and, uh, and whoever else was there. And I was like, and I turned to Troy and I said, I would really, really love somehow to work with these people. I've been writing comedy music for Drag Race for three or four years at this point. So I was like, I would, I feel like I have the chops to do it and... I would love to do this. And uh, and then it was probably a month later that I was sitting in a room with Chris and Sarah, who are the two head writers for <laughs> SNL. Wow. And uh, and ended up, and it was so strange, that that timeline. And and I, I like spoke it. I was like, this is really, really something I would love to do. And so I ended up doing the theme song, which let me back up, is 2.5 seconds long. <laughs> but it's the shortest song I've ever written, but also was the most amount of work for any song. Really? How? Yeah. Uh, we did about 70 revisions because you have 2.5 seconds to craft this identity for this show. So it, it's it, it. the show starts with a little bit of, of scene and dialogue and a joke and then cuts to the theme song and then the show continues. So that moment has to capture this, just the whole vibe of the show. It's, so that's not a lot of pressure. And it's vital. Well, how long did it take you to create this final 2.5 seconds? I mean, there, there were 70 versions. And so we, yeah, we did like probably four weeks. Oh, my God. Wow. For 2.5 <laughs> seconds. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. You're doing all of that while you're still writing for other artists? Completely. Completely. So, and then there's some really funny comedy songs in the show as well wow. that are hilarious. I'm so happy about that. Different parts of your brain to deal with different types of projects? or is To it- me, it's just like, here's the checklist. Let's get it all go. Let's get it all done. Okay. I love that. I enjoy it. <laughs> I just yeah. like it. Just got to get it done. Yeah. But, no excuse. But at what point does music become less about art and more about business and just getting it done? When it becomes that, then I will reel things in and pull back a little bit and start saying no. Um, and I do say no. You know, that's that's something that I'm very thankful that my management and publishers and, and people on my team have been very conscious of saying, like, that does sound cool, but not right now. Or maybe not right now. And then, of course, ultimately, I make the decision. But when it starts feeling like that, then then it's time to reel it in. Have you had that feeling? Not yet. No. Um, not yet, because we just are able to balance it out. I mean, this year was was scoring that that show and writing those songs for the show and writing the Boy Race song and then touring for four and a half weeks. And Golden all Globe that. nominee. Yay. You. Were, you guys, were you expecting that or no? No. No, you you wanted it though. Like somewhere deep within, you thought it could maybe yeah, happen. But I'm like, okay, ten, fifteen years from now, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm not gonna lie. I looked at I looked at a prediction list, and we weren't on there. And um, and then I was like, I'm done. I'm going to bed. This was the night before, so I was like, I'm going to bed. I'm not really going to uh, get worked up over it. And then yet again, uh, I woke up to a phone call from Troy at six in the morning, and. Um, and I didn't even think anything of it because I tried. I had called him the night before, so um, I didn't connect the dots as to why he would be calling that early. 
as I'm like still waking up. But um, yeah, and then he he was like, guess who's a Golden Globe nominee? And I was like, Gaga? Like, uh, Tom Hanks, probably. Yeah, yeah. Shallow, of course. Um, and he's like, no. And uh, and he's like, you and me and Jonesy. That's awesome. And um, I was like, what song? No, I'm kidding. Like, I, uh, but yeah, it was it was really fun. And we just took it in and like had a like a, not a moment of silence, but I was like, okay, let's just take a second to remember this moment of when you called me and told me this and and think about the things we're gonna get to experience together. How important is that? To take that moment to really soak it in. I mean, very, very important. I want to remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly where I was when I found out about SNL. Those things are not lost on me. Um, yeah, it's it's really nuts. And to think about all the things that have to happen to have that opportunity. Um, and all the things that, that we did, but also all the things that happened behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm, I have no concept of how political... Or, or or not um, the film world is because it's just not my world so all the things that had to happen to be one of those five songs I can't I, I can't really fathom that so I'm just excited I mean we said from the very beginning like we just want to have fun we get to go to the Golden Globes I got to do a panel last uh, two nights ago with where it was myself and Diane Warren and Soundwave oh, wow. who did Black Panther and talk about our songs as Oscar contenders. And, and I'm sitting there with like Mark Shaman, who was one of my idols who wrote all the, the new Mary Poppins music. And I went to dinner with Mark. I've known Mark for years and I went to dinner with Mark two and a half years ago to celebrate him getting Mary Poppins. And I was still like working and teaching and doing all these things and had never could have imagined that I would be nominated the same year as him. And we'd be on panels together. You know, I was like, can you please pay for my dinner? You know, two and a half. <laughs> I have none. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really, and it it feels very purposeful that it's for this song, for this movie. I mean, we can like dive very, very deep into that. But I think about, sometimes I wonder why of all places that I could have been born, why was I born in conservative South Mississippi? Mm-hmm. Um, and to come full circle and write a song for a film about something that I very easily could have gone through and and yeah and like when I came out uh, I was offered the opportunity to go to that specific conversion camp Wow! and so to now write the song about the film and and to show how uh, unsuccessfully that camp worked for people it's um and to just do it with people like Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe and Lucas Hedges mm-hmm. and for it to be with Troy and it all feels very 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 purposeful. Yeah, meant to be. Yeah. Com- and Troy's in the completely. movie too, right? He's in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to Biloxi, Mississippi. That's where you grow up. How do you first find music? Church. Church. It's always in church, right? It's always and I, it's I still always in church. Yeah, and I still feel a like a deep connection to that. Um I'm not so much religious at at this point um i have a respect for it and and an appreciation for it but when it is your life when it takes up all of your life all of your upbringing you're like okay let me just take a step back um but yeah i mean i come from a very loving and supportive family uh they always supported me doing music me doing art um there was a little moment like 
there was a little drama in the McLaughlin household when I was like, I don't think I want to sing Christian music, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So were you singing in church? Were you playing piano in church? Or was All it just of music? the above. All of the above. Do you start writing songs or do you mm-hmm. start playing an instrument? I started writing songs. Um, I started writing instrumentals on the piano. Uh, when I was 16, my parents asked, which was so cool, but they were like, do you want us to get you like a cheap car or do you want us to get you a piano, uh, like a baby grand piano? Um, and I was like, just give me a piano, like, you're, you know, and that was really cool. And so that really jumpstarted everything. What was the first song you wrote? An instrumental, like of all things, like there was, there was no lyric, there was no melody. Um, it was just, just like fiddling around on the piano and I sat my parents down and I remember, um, at the time, Three Doors Down was massive. Wow, love them. And yeah, they were massive and they were from South They were from Mississippi. And so there was a time where there something some management uh came over to the house. Um we met them somehow and uh and they were so excited to like hear an original song and I they were fully ex- expecting me to play and sing as you do. And, uh, and I played them an instrumental <laughs> and they were like, I think it's good. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I can hear this in an elevator. So Sounds that, nice. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. So, wow. uh, yeah, Mississippi was very interesting. So you're 16 when you write this instrumental, when do you first dabble into lyrics? Does it start with poems or do you write to the instrumentals that you create? No, I started writing to the instrumentals and um, those were songs that I I hadn't really experienced a relationship or anything like that. So I was just writing things in the same vein of what I was listening to at the time. Um, so those songs were definitely some very instrumental in me just doing it for the first time. But they, But I didn't really know what I was writing about. And even it took me a few years to to go through heartbreak and go through that first relationship. And then be like, I remember driving down, driving one time and hearing people say this song changed my life or this song saved me or this song speaks to me. And I didn't really know what they meant. Um, Cause I was like, well, I haven't gone through that. I, I, I don't really connect with songs that way. And then you go through your first relationship and you're like, Oh my God, I get it. Experience and songwriting go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Can you be a good songwriter without experiences? I don't think so. I think you really have, there are different types of songs you can write. You can write a song that really is always someone else's story, but the songs that I've, that other artists have have connected with that are mine, I just go in and either my collaborator is going through something or I'm going through something and I'm consciously trying to do that more. I'm like, okay, let's, let's talk about what we're going through and the gray area of this breakup or whatever. And, And hopefully some, an artist will connect with it if it's just a good song. Is there any part of you that maybe at first was hard to let yourself out into a song and then just hand it off? Oh, it's so scary. Songwriting is so intimate and so revealing. Um, and and you're really just exposing secrets, you know, and putting them in songs and then you don't have to talk about them. But because the song is is the song. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's very revealing. It's very hard. And if you're going into the room, they'll there'll be many times where I go into a room with people I've never worked with before. And so it's like, hi, nice to meet you. Here's what I'm going through. <laughs> Tell me all your secrets. <laughs> or like, or you look a mess. What are you going through? You know, like, yeah. uh, so it's, it's not normal to sit down with someone in a small room or in a studio and 10 minutes later be talking about 
why you're going through this situation or the trauma you experienced or or anything. It's it's very strange. Do you write songs alone or do you have to write with other people? I'm getting back into writing songs alone, which I really love and just finding just balancing it out a little bit. Um, why is that important to bring back? Just to find out what I still sound like, you know, like what what I sound like as a songwriter, not what I sound like with this person, which is also really exciting um, to, to think about what's the combination of me working with this person, but also to be like, okay, what are, what do I sound like as a writer? Um, and so there were some songs in Sierra Burgess and then middle of a heartbreak, that lyric and melody so good. is just, is all mine. And so it's, it's nice to be like, oh God, I like, I, I feel like I'm really proud of those melodies and proud of that lyric and, um, and I can still do it. Cause you know, you can get a little bit dependent uh, co-dependent on co-writers sometimes middle of a heartbreak great record you sent the song to me in two stages yes the, uh, the first one i like but you changed the production on the mm-hmm. second and it just oh it just hits you man thank it's you really it's a, it's a bop thanks the song could totally be a hit with you but that song could also go to somebody else mm-hmm. and it could have the odds could be more in their favor than in yours mm-hmm. do you think of that at all not anymore because i when I wrote this song, I was like, I see the video already. I want to be performing this on tour. You know, I had, thankfully, I, I wrote this song three weeks before I went on tour opening for Troy, Savan. And so I was like, I want another I want another bop to perform on, on stage. I want to try out this song. Um, and of course, it's always like last minute to be like, cool, I'm about to go play for like 5,000 people every night. Let me just crank out some songs. Um <laughs> But that's that's what you have to do. And so I carved out some time, had this one afternoon, myself and Jordan, and uh, we were started three ideas. This one was the third one. And then you leave and you listen to the ideas in your car. I was like, this feels right. Let's finish it. Let's wrap it up. Let's see what happens. But no, there was never a moment where I was like, maybe I'll give this song away. I was like, this is my song. Like, I I have given so much time, which I'm so grateful for, but I've committed so much time to helping other artists career uh careers this is this is for me you own this yeah and that's pride mm-hmm. and deserved thank you i appreciate it Zach Sang Show. hey everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk you can get into a crash people can get hurt or killed but let's take a moment to take a look at some surprising statistics did you know that almost 29 people in the united states die every day due to an alcohol impaired vehicle crash that's one person every 50 minutes Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives every single year. Drunk driving can also have a big impact on your wallet. You can get arrested and incur massive, massive legal expenses. You could also possibly lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? It's actually kind of easy. Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If somebody you know has been drinking, take the keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. I promise you, it's not hard. It's not really expensive. Come on. We all know the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you don't think it's a big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Zach Sang Show. Does it take a selfless person to be a songwriter? Because you were talking about getting the call from Troy about both. I mean, Saturday Night Live and obviously the Golden Globes, but... You start crying when it's Saturday Night Live. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not you up there singing. It's mm-hmm. somebody else taking your experience or your piece of art and making it their own. Mm-hmm. 
like that's not you, but you're still crying because it's like it's a part of you, but not 100% you. It feels like an extension of me. And in those moments, there's no one else that should be singing my, my, my besides Troy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no other artist that can do that song justice or that song and that artist go hand in hand. There's no other artist, in my opinion, that Forever. that could do fetish or like in, embodied what was being communicated through fetish at that moment in her life. So I never feel like I should that, you know, miss. I did a song with uh, Kelsey Ballerini right now called Miss Me More. And I'm not like that should be me. You know, like, uh, like, are you sure? I, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I just have I just feel like these songs are meant to be with these people. Uh, and yeah, I haven't felt if I feel different than that's probably not a project I'm passionate about. Well, how do you feel when you see Troy singing My, My, My on stage with Taylor Swift? I was yet again. I was like, <laughs> Troy's mom and I were clutching each other crying. Um, that was insanely special. There's like 100,000 people watching him sing your song. Watching him sing it and singing along yes. and freaking out when he came out from under that stage. That was really special. And to have, um, you know, I have, I'm, I'm hope I would love to work with Taylor at some point. Um, I had I've, strangely enough, like met her at different moments throughout her career and throughout mine where I met her before she put any music out backstage at the CMA awards when, when we were both like 17 or 18. Cool. Um, and then to, how'd you get there? I went to Belmont and who invited you in Nashville. And so I, I, Probably no one. Uh, <laughs> Showed up. Thought. Yeah, <laughs> probably no one. You guys in here. <laughs> no, they happened at my. They happened on campus. Oh, that's cool. So we were able just to like Show not up. wander around, but I was super proactive in in like ASCAP and different and the Grammy organization and all that. I was annoyingly present on campus. But by the way, like okay, so you go from Biloxi, Mississippi, and then you go to Nashville. Mm-hmm. One thing that I I'm hearing is a kind of through line to who you are. You are persistent, you are active, you are in somebody's face, and if you think you should, you could do something, you make every attempt to tell the people who can help make that happen that you're the guy to do it. Completely, yeah. So you were knocking on BMI's door in Nashville? Were you just like showing up and trying to get sessions, trying to get a publishing deal? I had a, I had a few songs up on MySpace, and I remember, this is like, <laughs> this is me, this is me. So I got a message on MySpace from an intern at Columbia Records. But in my mind, that was the head of A&R trying to sign me. <laughs> That's, I get it. And so, so I immediately ran to a professor at college who I knew also worked at ASCAP. And I was like, I'm about to sign a record deal. Like, I need to meet some people. And he turned that into, yeah, just signing me at ASCAP and, and uh, making a few suggestions of people to meet with recommending an attorney and I was like okay I'm kidding I like I'm not signing a, a deal but um but and then just taking that and running with it um I remember that first meeting in ASCAP and from that point uh you know they have some great opportunities for artists and or and songwriters and they host a songwriting trip at a castle in France every year That's uh nice. and and yeah they bring out artists like four artists four writers four producers and you all write songs together, and the castle is not renovated. It is an old castle. That's cool. It is a, a little bit, but you know, um, inspiration. It is inspiration. They were assigning rooms, and uh, and they put me in this tower 
that is like not actually connected to the castle. They put Pooh Bear downstairs. <laughs> not a bad name. And then myself upstairs in the tower and and I think I was the only gay guy there and, and they were like, you know, Cher slept in that tower and I was like, am I supposed to love it? Like, uh, oh, great. That's great? awesome. I'm like, is there Wi-Fi? And there, and there wasn't, actually. Yeah, it's a, like a, a, yeah, stone, a stone tower castle, yeah. um, that had been like destroyed a couple times and rebuilt. And um, But yeah, anyway, I ended up, uh, one of our good friends, Alex Hope, who has worked on Troy, she did Wild and Lucky Strike and a bunch of others. I ended up crashing in her room in the castle itself. What year do you do that session? That was that was a, two and a half years ago. Do you remember your first session ever? My first session ever was in North Hollywood, right at that like Lancashire so not in intersection. I mean, my first pop session, I would okay. say. Um, I don't really remember my fr- in in college. I was just writing songs with friends in Nashville. Um, so there would, I got my start by being like there were different showcases. College. There was a pop showcase, a Christian showcase, a country showcase. And my goal was to have a friend or myself performing a song that I'd written in every single showcase. How annoying is that? That's but like, I was like, that's that's called yeah. goals. That's so knowing I, I, what you want. Yeah. And it was fun. And I ended up doing it. And uh, of course you did. <laughs> and it was it was fun. I mean, you know, I was also surrounded by people who were thinking the same way that I was, who came from similar backgrounds where it's like, we're all secretly gay, you know, like, and, and, uh, and so we all, just, and we were all like just super driven and, and having fun. And, and, uh, so when you're around those types of people, like-minded people that brings out the best in everyone and us hanging out was like, you know, having drinks at the apartment, but also writing a funny song or writing a song for our friend Jenna or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I was definitely around like-minded people. And so, okay. From there, you then know that LA is your next move. I did. I signed a publishing deal with John Platt when he was running EMI Music Publishing, Big John. Before you had a cut or after? Before I had a cut, That's actually. A, how? He, how is a woman from church, was a cocktail waitress at a casino in South Mississippi. Of course. Was, yes, which also is like very looked down upon. Like, like, what, like. The cocktail waitress? Like, the church, the church, the church, you know. Okay. But she, she like skirted under the rug, you know. Um, and she was just amazing. And uh, and so she served this guy who said he was a manager and gave gave him my number. He reached out and he had a good relationship with John Platt. Sent John a couple of my songs that I just like country songs. And John signed me to like a new songwriter publishing deal. Very small, like low risk for them, but everything to me. And uh, I remember, like, getting the check, like, they slid the check under my door after I signed the publishing deal in Nashville. And um, and I was like, we are all going to Walmart, and I am buying a nice TV. There you go. And, uh, <laughs> which I probably should not have done, but I made that, like, very small amount of money last a long time. And so when I graduated college, I was like, okay, I, the deal was out of L.A. It was a pop deal. So I, it was really, really hard. It was one of the hardest things I, I've ever done was leaving my entire group of friends and moving to L.A. Did you end up graduating college? I did, yeah. And so you go to L.A., and while you're doing sessions, you're also teaching music. You worked at Music Institute, Musicians Institute? I worked at Musicians Institute. I catered for three years. Ooh. I catered the Golden Globes 
four years ago. Glamorous. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yo. So I catered the after party. It's quite a so glow up. That what? I just RSVP to. Oh, yeah, right. Now you're going. That's when right. you win, you put that in your speech, okay? I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, no, I'm gotta... just excited to go. But yeah. If anything is going to win. Speak it to existence. I mean, I, what I will say is I can't imagine the work that went into A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that I, I don't, obviously don't want to campaign for another movie, <laughs> but I recognize the work that went into it. I recognize all the songs. Um, and so I saw the movie. I loved the movie. Um, and uh, and also, like, Mark Mark Ronson is sort of in our, our family as well of, uh, like, writers, producers, artists. And so I, like, I want the best for him. And you can just tell when someone has put everything they have into a project. And granted, like I said before, this boy race is not lost on me that the, that I should be a part of this project, that everything is meant to be. And, and f- like fate had me be a part of it. So if, if boy race doesn't get recognition of like winning the golden globe, it's still got this incredible platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would love, 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 love for Troy to perform the song at the Oscars. Oh. Oh, that'd be awesome. Right. That would be all the insane. nominees get to perform, right? Like all, that? The, all the Oscar nominees they get, get to perform. perform. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Yeah, but that'd be awesome. That song and that movie is serving a much bigger purpose than a trophy. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, speaking about the Oscars, do you think Kevin Hart should have stepped down? That's that's a very interesting question. Uh, I, you know, I always try to do my research before, and I always try to not, unless it's something that is really directly affecting me, or people that I'm friends with, uh, not have not like tweet about it. You know, there everyone there are a thousand opinions on it and a thousand people talking about it. I I think the that yeah that was his decision and I think it was the timeline was was really interesting. Um, you know, when you do something that makes a group of people feel not just offended but hurt and nervous you should have to expect to apologize for that multiple times, maybe for the rest of your life. If I do something where I'm like, listen, I recognize I'm, I'm going to have to keep apologizing for that. Then you, you just keep apologizing for it. You know, maybe I'm not, I've really only heard really positive things about him as a person. And I understand coming from my own experience, being born and raised in South Mississippi with my family and my friends and different people, I recognize that people evolve and people change and not just because they have to, but, and I don't know, I don't, that's the thing. I don't know Kevin Hart. So I just know the people that are around me that have changed. But when someone says, you know, he said something to the effect of people know me and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know you, you know? So, you know, if you do something, you might have to keep apologizing for it. Mm -hmm. That kind of comes with the territory. Mm -hmm. Completely. Um, Troy Sivan, can we dive into this relationship? Who, int- how do you meet? Like, what? We met through one of my dear friends, Tyler Oakley. Oh, we Look. know him. Yes. yes. Or of I him, love, at least. Love, love, love Tyler. I had Tyler Oakley's package in the corner of this studio. I keep, I remember seeing that online, yeah. For like nine months. So does he have it? No. No, 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 because he doesn't respond to me. I, I, I think if Tyler Oakley saw me dying on the sidewalk, he'd probably just like, no, walk around. No, t- Tyler or is Instagram the sweetest. I, but I ultimately ended up opening the package. What was in it? That's illegal. That's illegal. You just said it all. It had my address on it, just it his name. Doesn't Dude, matter. I reached out to him so That's many times. Name. Danny, we can, well, I guess. It was a shirt. Yeah. Okay. It was a t-shirt from the Human Rights Campaign. 
I'm sure he has 20. I would assume so. <laughs> um, it was about their partnership with, uh, ooh, ooh, what's that? Uh, what? It's not 50 bills in 50 states. Or? No, it was, oh gosh, J. Crew. They did a partnership with J. Crew and they oh. did a couple different t shirts. They sent a shirt to Tyler, but to my address, and then sent a duffel, uh, a tote bag. I would like those actually. Yeah. I have them in my trunk if you want them. <laughs> can I, I please, can I please film giving mm-hmm. Tyler his whatever it is? Just take it. I yeah. just don't, I don't want That's, it anymore. That doesn't is even so fit me. funny. Um, anyway, so Tyler Oakley is the one who connected the two. Tyler connected us. Tyler and I were really good friends, and he and we still are. And and he uh, and Troy were really close too at the time, and they still are. And and I remember Tyler saying I was playing shows uh, in Hollywood, and Tyler said my my best friend Troy is coming to town. You need to write songs together. I'm telling him the same thing. So I still have the. Uh, we also snuck Troy into one of my shows when he was 17. And I was playing this this club called Three Clubs uh, on Vine. And we snuck Troy in and I remember meeting him. And then after that, we exchanged some Facebook messages and just like just like chatted. And then we ended up I ended up putting a session together with myself, Ali X, Bram and Troy. And that one introduction changes both of your lives forever. Completely. And completely forever grateful for Tyler always. Oakley. And I. I think when when Tyler texted me about the Golden Globe nomination, I I just I know he hasn't forgotten, but I like to remind him like you connected these dots, like you you truly like changed my life, changed Troy's life. A, a lot of these songs would not exist if Troy and I had never met. Goosebumps. It's crazy. He's a good person. Such a good person. That's very very cool. Do you feel like my 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 should have been better? Like should have done better? Like it did get radio play, it did well, but do you feel like it should have risen higher on the charts than it did? Short answer, yes. Same. Um, one of the mo- more gratifying moments of, of that song's journey was hearing that, I think Elton John said that should be a number one song around the world. He said something to that effect. And um, imagine if he didn't, I just made that up. But no, he like <laughs> he did. He did say something, something like that. And um, I do. I feel like... But the... But the different the thing is though, that is the best song we we could have possibly come up with at that time. That song, in my opinion, and I know in Troy's, fully represented where he was as an artist. I think we I think everything was fully realized. His evolution as an artist was fully realized. I think it was such and is such an anthem. I think it's such a great pop song. Um you know, there is that desire to see that song be like number one on, on pop radio or number one on the Hot 100. But what was so cool was seeing all the end of year lists um, that Spotify does. And I, I would say nine out of ten that I saw had My 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 as their most played song. Really? Mm-hmm. That's and true. that is That's so awesome. cool. But what does that say then about, I guess, mainstream radio that they're not playing what these people are streaming there are so many factors that i'm not aware of that goes into making a hit so there's you can call a song a hit because it feels like a hit but then the threshold of it actually becoming one is there's so there's so many people behind the scenes there's so much beyond just being a writer and wishing for this um so i don't think it represents like that that like radio doesn't reflect what people want to hear but every once in a while a song just won't won't break through. 
Mm-hmm. But I do. I mean, this song did really well still. And like mm-hmm. the day that we found out about the Golden Globe nomination, uh, my, my, my also went gold that day in the U.S. And so mm-hmm. that's such an accomplishment. And SNL, like those things, that song had so many special moments. The mm-hmm. impact of the record, totally not diluted by lack of radio or going number one at radio. Totally. It doesn't. It, the song still resonates. And Troy, as an artist, embodies something bigger, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you go to his shows to see the collection of different people that make up the audience, of yes. all different ages and all different genders, identifying in totally different ways. It's just this beautiful just room full of equality and love and compassion. Yes. All gathered around the stories that Blue Neighborhood tells mm-hmm. and obviously this last body work, Bloom. I, is there a defining moment where you were like, wow, there's something between the two of us that is unbreakable? I I do think we've we both found this understanding that the moment of when we realized we write well together and we enjoy spending time together as friends. And, um, you know, the first album, we didn't really know that we were making an album. We were just writing songs. And then at one point, um, the late, the label was like, you guys, you guys have an album, like you're done. (laughs) Um, and that was really great. I think we realized when Troy would come in with a story that he wanted to tell or an idea and, we realized that not only were we having fun and it was low pressure, but we were bringing the best qualities out of each other as as writers and collaborators. And that really came to fruition this album with Bloom. You know, I'm so proud of what we did with Blue Neighborhood, and I know he is too, but that wasn't like going in and like, and, and making and making an album. You know, like uh, we were just writing songs together and that became Blue Neighborhood and that told this this story um but with bloom we went into this project knowing that we just wanted to tell something really special it felt like the beginning of a chapter what was the goal with bloom i think just to capture troy's evolution and and confidence and as uh an an openly like sexual gay man uh gay man and and who is not ashamed of that and and also just normalizing sexuality period you know not um not trying to create headlines of this is this song is about sex between men or or anything like that it's more like this is just uh, an artist who happens to be gay who's making the same type of music as uh, or talking about the same things as everyone else but just that are true to him is there a sense of responsibility that you have and that maybe he has as well to make those stories happen and to get them out there? I think, I think we really, I don't think so. I think it's more just write songs that are true to him and are reflective of him sonically, lyrically, um, and then, and eventually visually. Um, so I think we really just go in and try to just try to write good songs. We did not go into this process, which process, which was so relieving. We did not go into this process thinking, we have to make hits. We have to make songs that are going to get played on the radio. We just went in and worked with people like Peter Svensson, who is insane, who we did bloom with, who um, is just a brilliant songwriter and got to work with MXM and and the Max Martin team. Um, that was just, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Peter was in the cardigans. Cool. Oh, um, nice. So to work with those types, the, those type of people, but also work with the people who, 
we started this journey with was really special. You have a good sense of community around you always. I, you know, we've hung out before. Mm-hmm. You do. Like, there's always the people you've kind of been on this ride with, mm-hmm. you know? It, it, that's obviously important. So important. And, uh, and, and you know, I always, I've, I've told Troy and, and other artists that I'm also friends with, like, do not feel like you are going to hurt my feelings if I'm not right for this next project. Or like, or if you want to go and try collaborating with other people, trust me, I will find things to work on. <laughs> like, I am uh, as yeah, much yeah. as much as I love it so yeah. much, and I want to write songs with Troy forever. I mean, I cried when uh, I cried a lot, but like, I cried <laughs> when Elton John interviewed Troy, and they were talking about collaborators, and Elton was talking about his collaborator of fifty years. And Bernie, Troy, baby, mm-hmm. I compared the two of you. And Troy said to Elton, uh, they were talking about me, which is insane. And Troy said, that's what I want for me and my collaborator, 50 years. And that was just monumental and like, yeah, really crazy. Dude, goosebumps. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really cool. And it's rare. Those mm-hmm. things don't happen mm-hmm. all the time. But when they do, you want to be able to latch on and really, I don't know. Beyond make the most of it. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? When does Sabrina Carpenter bring you in to write Paris? So that uh, the first song we did together was Why. Yeah. That was our very first session, our very first time meeting. Her manager, Ryan, was like my manager a, f- a few years ago for a hot second when I was thinking about putting out an artist project, but didn't I just didn't have the resources or or uh, just wasn't ready yet. So I knew Ryan, and Ryan for a long time had been saying, you have to work with Sabrina Carpenter. And um, and finally he got us in a room together and there was just instant this instant connection. And I was like, oh my God, this girl knows how to write a song, sing a song. I have not had this feeling about an, an artist in a, like, in a really long time. And I was like, this girl is a superstar. I have no doubt about it. I will write songs for her as long as she wants me to. And uh, so we did Why That Was Our First Song and, and then... Paris was I think earlier this year and um, we just she was talking about she was talking about Paris she was either going there or had wanted to go there and um, we just wanted to write just a, a cool I don't it just really organically came about Jason Evigan was the producer on that song who did Girl Like You from Maroon 5 and there is an energy working with Jason to just experiment and be weird and be creative and and uh, that's like when you walk into his compound, which is like a full, a full like, uh, f- like free love compound. It's really beautiful. Um, yeah, you just feel creatively, uh, creatively free to to try different things. And um, I remember I messed with um, the the chorus of Paris. That's what came first with that guitar lick. Mm-hmm. And from there, we I think we all sort of clicked because a lot of times you'll want to write a big chorus. You'll want to write a massive chorus that is like super high. Yeah, and the song doesn't have it. Not at all. Yeah. So I think we just had to step out of the box for a second and be like, okay, let's maybe experiment with writing an understated chorus because Sabrina has such a good tone that she can sing anything. Um, and so then we just shaped the song around that chorus. Uh-huh. Vital to break the mold in those situations when she's going up against so many other voices? It is, and she has such a clear sense of who she is. Uh, and... Her talent is endless. That's 
that can be a challenge when you have such a good vocalist that can sing anything. Where is their identity? And Sabrina has that identity. And so you just have to sort of reapproach things and not be like, okay, I'm not, we're not going to do 10 songs where you just wail and sing and sing and sing. Have those moments, but let those moments be actual moments. Um, otherwise, it's not special anymore. Yeah, I thought she was just going to be like, I thought she was like another Disney star trying to be a pop star. But then I heard Singular Act 1. I was like, wait, this is like good. Good. Like it's really good. <laughs> good. good. It's not just like some generic pop album. No. At all. That means a lot. I mean, I, I, yeah, I care about her so much and respect her. And we have a lot more music coming out mm. next year. Sweet. What is your strength in a studio? Ad- I think just adapting. Adapting to what's needed. Um, leading the session if I need to or taking a step back and letting the artist take the lead. Uh, I love vocal producing. So as the artist is recording the song, working with the artist on how to get the best performance, um, whether it's like the vowels being used or how to pronounce a word or when to when to sing very soft and up and like right on the microphone or when to take a step back or... Uh, and then coming up with harmonies, I love doing all of that. But I think it's also just making the artist organically and, and genuinely feel comfortable. Um, I think so much of writing songs is the hang, being a good hang as much it is, as it is being a good songwriter. There's a difference. You want to go? I was say you. Well, you make shirts that say Leland makes good pop. How <laughs> annoying. How confident. <laughs> well, but what, do you, what do you consider bad pop? Oh, wow. Um like, name a song right now that you think is really that bad. That just sucks. <laughs> Go for it. No, I, I will not do kidding. that. Um, I I think, for me, I I have, uh, if someone compares me to, like, someone said the other day, which is, like, the ultimate compliment, uh, someone's, someone was like, oh, yeah, Leland's, like, the male Carly Rae or the male Robin. And I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I, that is, I just want to be known for making good music, whether it is pop Pop is my like repertoire. Pop is where my instincts go. Um, you know, I for so long I was worried that I was making dated pop music because I came from uh, a Christian music background where that music uh, can sometimes be ten years behind. Where and so I was like, these are all my instincts. I need to throw everything out and start over. So for people to uh, associate me with good pop music is really really cool did you say carly ray mm-hmm. i think carly ray jepson mm-hmm. i think she's incredible she I think is she is the most underrated person out there i could not agree more she is phenomenal yeah what? i love her so everything much. she does but why doesn't somebody like her get the love she deserves because call me maybe people just associate her with that song yeah i think so um you know carly i i don't know because truly her last album was phenomenal it's everything she does is awesome phenomenal Phenomenal, you know. I uh, have a list of artists that I want to work with. Some of them being massive artists, some of them being just great artists. And Carly, I, I really, when I look back at my at the list of artists I wanted to write with this year, I almost got to work with all of them. Whoa! It was in from Ariana to Charlie XCX to Carly Rae. Like it's and 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 it's mostly all women. Uh, that's just like I'm a fan of female pop. Um, but yeah, it was really fun to check off the list people that I l- really respect, like Carly Rae. Is there a session that's been the most impactful? 
for you? I would have to think. Um, you know how I really love writing songs with that feels like therapy is Andy Grammer. Wow. I love writing songs with him. I saw him. We were both working at the same studio yesterday. And even in just our 15-minute conversation, I just like felt I felt like I had a therapy session. He's a really you know, smart guy. He's such a smart guy. Um, those So those sessions with Andy are always very impactful because he's an artist that will only talk about things that are true to him and and then also wants to put wants to di- uh, dissect it and that's re- that's really cool um i really do think writing writing my 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 with troy was such a an impactful moment we were there was a little bit of pressure because we we flew to stockholm for 3 days wow. to write songs and we sort of knew we were like okay we're going there a little bit with this mentality that we would love to leave with a single because a lot of the album had been written by that point. So so there was that l- little bit of pressure, but also we were like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Um, and in that trip, we wrote My, My, My and Bloom in those three days. <laughs> the biggest songs on the album. Um, and so those were really special. And we remember, I think, leaving the studio that day. And, you know, I... I will I will have my opinion about a song, but at the end of the day, I am I will fully support if Troy loves a song, doesn't like a song, loves it initially, and then doesn't like it later. You know, as an artist, you your mind changes, you you see songs differently or hear songs differently. Um but after we wrote My My My, we were walking down the sidewalk in Stockholm, like listening and he was playing the voice memo that we had snuck in the studio on his speaker. <laughs> on his phone and we're both like leaning in sharing listening to this uh quiet voice memo and strutting strutting down the sidewalk and so those moments are very special and that feels like a very significant session there's a difference between a hit and a timeless record you Mm -hmm. have hits under your belt but in your opinion have you created a timeless record i feel i i think so and i and i will tell you why it's because i went home um to mississippi to see my family and I was just playing them a couple new songs and I played The Good Side. Got it. And The Good Side is what made my grandpa start crying. <sighs> and I was like, he was like, when is this song coming out? And I was like, I don't know. But uh, but he, he, and he said, that is the best song you've ever written. Wow. And then to see people who are like kids who are 10 years old at a Troy show singing every single word of that song or hearing how that song has impacted them that is the biggest age like age difference you can have in a in a song and to see people equally connect with it for different reasons how did that song start is that your life or troy's life that was i mean every troy song is is him. is is him um yeah he just brought in this subject that he really wanted to talk about and and we writing about um writing about a past relationship is really tough especially when you are someone notable or or famous yeah. and so with that song especially, we wanted to do it in a really delicate, respectful way. Um, and and that, so lyrically, that was that's one of the, the songs that I'm, I'm the most proud of. Is there a model for a pop song? Like, can you, like, can anybody understand and learn that model? There's a simple structure where you can say, like, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, second verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, chorus. You know, that can be, that can be your simple structure for a song, but with a song like The Good Side, there is that's not the structure there's i think 
three verses to the song um, and the one line of the chorus is at the end. And and so there there's there are hits now that don't uh, don't fall under that structure. And that's really exciting because we can be inventive. We can be inventive. You know, I was um, who needs to come on this show. I was writing with Rami yesterday who wrote hit me baby one more time. Oops, I did it again. Lucky all these things. And we were talking about I, I I mentioned to Rami, I said, I notice in Oops, I Did It Again and a lot of other songs, at the end of the song, you would introduce a brand new melody. You would flip the, uh, you'd flip the chorus melody, keep the same lyric, but you would, you'd sort of reinvent it at the very end for one last moment that just like kills you. And that's not being done right now. And we were like, we should really try to, try to bring that back if the song is right for it. So, even then they were messing with structure and, and you can really have a lot of freedom. A good song is a good song. The, the Bozzy song, uh, the Bozzy song mine yeah. does not adhere to a, a typical structure and yet it was massive. So it really just comes down to the song. Do you think that Bozzy is saving pop music? I love Bozzy. I love his songs. He thinks he's saving pop music. Do you agree? I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if, if it needed to be saved. I think there are some <laughs> incredible artists right out there right now. Um, who are making great pop. Uh, but listen, if I, I do love the phrase like so-and-so saved pop. So by all means, like keep saving it. I don't think it's going <laughs> anywhere, but I think with artists like uh, Kim Petras and people who are bringing back um, like like pop pop, the that epitome bubble, of that pop, bubble gum pop, that bubblegum pop, yeah. that's really exciting to me. And then just keep having a balance of everything. A good That's song it. is a good song. But you just said it. It's a balance of everything. Mm-hmm. The second you lean too far in one direction, everything starts to sound the same. And I would get bored writing the same type of pop all the time. But listeners get bored listening to mm-hmm. it, right? Because your mm-hmm. brain kind of almost shuts off and you get on this autopilot thing where mm-hmm. like you, all songs blend into each other. Yeah. It's about a balance. Exactly. Pop music is a collection of all the different genres coming together and living harmoniously mm-hmm. next to one another. Well, did you happen to see BB Rex's Twitter rant today? I, I did not, I, I like saw briefly, but I didn't, I didn't take, um, the time to like really dissect it yet. Okay. So she went on this rant about how the songwriters don't get the credit they deserve and they're making less than the producers. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's true and that you, the songwriters deserve more because they are writing the actual songs? Well, it's not really an opinion. It's, it is a fact. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always try to be careful to not sp- like speak about things unless I know like the exact uh, history about it, but I do know that, um, you know, the, why the producers were getting royalty points and everything back then, that's that the role of a producer has also evolved and changed. And, and so it's really just like, like the law having to catch up. She said it's almost 2019, not 1970 anymore. Right. So, um, you know, when you're in a session, I, I can play the role of a songwriter, of a producer, of a vocal producer, um, and then walk out and leave with just my portion of the publishing. Um, whereas a producer does get royalty points, a producer does get a production fee that can be anywhere from, you know, five thousand dollars to seventy-five thousand um, dollars, and that's basically an advance on royalties. But they get that up front. Whereas a songwriter, song comes out, gets played on the radio. You have to wait twelve months till you see anything. Literally. Literally 12 months, 18 months for international. Um, So she does completely have a point. As you get more leverage as a songwriter, you can ask for 
for more. You know, if, if, if an artist wants me to come in and write eight songs on an album, you better believe I'm going to get some royalty points on that project for investing that much time. Um, but for new writers, that's not the case. So it, it does need to change. Um, it's really, it's harder than ever for new writers to pay bills and to make money and to break through. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is really, really hard right now, especially with the way that, um, that music is, is being listened to. Um, so it's just important to be conscious of that. I work with producers who take care of their writers, um, who recognize like, of course we're all going to like, of course I'm going to give you a piece of this, you know? Um, that's good business. It's good business. And also it's just your, it just shows you're working with good people. Yeah. Morals. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, BB is 100% right. Cool. Yeah. What do you say to a songwriter who might, or new songwriter who might get discouraged? By that, like this idea that you write a song and you have to wait twelve months to even make a penny, then you better have a job to hold over till those twelve months. <laughs> That's basically it. I was like, I remember teaching a, a voice lesson while Hideaway was top ten on pop radio. You know, um, for thirty bucks an hour, which was actually like really good. That's yeah, that's uh, not bad. no, not at all. But um, yeah, you just make it work. Um, you know, because. I didn't come from a family that was like able to just like pay for my apartment or anything like that. But instead of complaining about it, being like, God, my journey is so hard. It's more just like, just do it. I also had so much fun during, I I was having dinner with my friend the other night after that, um, that panel with, with the other, uh, nominees. And, and I was like, you know, I, I miss that. I will, I mean, unless like things really like take a turn, I will never, I miss that that chapter where I was struggling, but having so much fun. I miss like catering and then being able to go write a song and then, and hanging out with friends and, in our like crappy apartments. And, and I, I'm there. That's such a special time that you, you only get to experience once. And then, and then you're like, okay, wow, things are, things really are changing. Yeah. But you don't want to, you want to still hold on to your values that you had in the crappy apartment. Completely. I mean, I I hope that I don't feel like I'm any different. You know, I mean, I still have the same friends from high school, from college, from eight years ago when I first moved here. Um, Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think that's when you start losing sight of what is actually important, you know, because I want to be able to have a great group of friends to celebrate this nomination with and also for them to tell me like, also chill out like you know <laughs> keep you in check mm-hmm. brett leland mclaughlin <laughs> an honor hanging out with you man you really shared your brain you shared your passion and i'm really excited because a lot of musicians watch our show and a lot of new musicians watch our show and i think they're going to watch this conversation and learn a lot and i think you've passed on a lot of really really cool pieces of knowledge uh, you know it's really nice. <laughs> thank you. And I appreciate it. And thank you for supporting Middle of a Heartbreak. No, Middle I of mean, a Heartbreak. So much. That is the song, man. It is a great single. Bob. Thank you. Listen to it if you haven't listened to it yet. And Mattress, totally worth your time, too. You have an EP coming at the top of the year? Yeah, it'll be like March, April. Five songs, mm-hmm. six songs? We'll see. We'll see like what, what gets written between now and then. But um, I'm hoping to be touring early part of next year. Cool. And we'll hopefully have some new songs to play, but also... A lot of songs are going to come out over the next few months. How many Leland songs do you have ready to go? I have probably six more ready to go. Ready, like that are like done, ready to go. But there's a lot of ideas. But 
I am, what I love so much is being like, cool, I have like a week here. Let's go away and write some ideas. So I'm always, always writing, trying to beat what I have or, um, or if I'm like going through something, I need to write about this now. You know, quickly, Ariana has inspired myself and a lot of other artists to be like, do it now. I'm going through this now. Mm -hmm. Why am I going to write about this now and put this out a year and a half from now? Amen. So that's really, really exciting. But that sort of music matches the rest of society. Immediacy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. This idea that if you feel it, you do it. Yep. And you get it out there as fast as you can. Yeah, that's it. But does that, in that case, I think it helps consumption of music. But I think there's, at least in the last few years, consumption of music, it changes, right? So like we consume a song and then we move on mm-hmm. in, in two weeks time, you know? Mm-hmm. We need new music every few weeks from somebody. Yeah, that's true. It has changed with um, with like New Music Fridays and anticipating new songs. But um, but each song serves a different purpose. You know, some songs can have a longer life. Some songs can hold us over. Um, but also, you know, w- listeners are going to connect to songs differently. Some are going to attach to a certain song for that entire year or for an entire chapter. Um, and it's also what you want to what what your vision as an artist is for the song. Uh, and you know, we there are obviously ways that we. You know, I put out a music video for Middle of a Heartbreak last week, and then next week I'll put out a behind the scenes and the week after that. So you extend the life of a song by by constantly offering different ways to 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 see the song. I get that. Um, and that's that's also really, really fun for the artist. You killed the suit game, by the way. You're Thank d- you. You're doing a good job. Thank you. Really, the Middle of the Heartbreak, the graphic, and the video, beautiful. Suits Thank great. you. Such a good team. And then you had a blue suit the other day at an event, which was oh, really nice. Thank suits. you. No, it was like I'm this. having fun with some vintage cool. vintage suits. So that was Daya's day-to-day manager is now a stylist and styled me for the uh, Middle of the Heartbreak video. Oh, yeah. Bravo to him. Would Tyler. you say you're taking it back to 1999? Huh? I'm always taking it back to 1999. I wrote the... Uh, the JTT lyric in 1999, which was very fun. Because that was song. my first crush. Thanks. Really? Mine too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I love that record. I'm Thank you. It, Thank you for way. playing it. Thank yes, you. of course. It's Anytime. Good song. good song is a good song, as we say. Final Thank thoughts? You. Anything with Selena coming out? Or are you, is that? I cannot say. Uh, you can say something. I, uh, well, he didn't say yes or no, so. Yeah, no, I will. What can I say is is really nothing but I mean yes we've like we've worked on stuff. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Looking forward to it. You, <laughs> me too. You've given her songs that are done for uh, done worked in the studio. What is it? We have some finished songs. Sweet. Wow. We'll see what. Will happens. she be? I'm gonna ask a question. Will she be talking about this little hi- hiatus step back from the public? Oh, life? I have I have no idea. No, I mean in the songs. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. You know, we, I'm not really sure. I know that she is very proud of what she's talking about in, in these songs. Cool. Yeah. Leland, thanks for giving us your brain, dude. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a dream and, and yeah, it's really, I'm so happy. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you really deeply. You were phenomenal. Leland, everybody. All right. Leland. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.